entitled Give, Malachi chapter 3 is where we will be. And for a few moments, we just want to look at how the Lord brings blessings to our families, our churches, and to us individually. Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse even from the days of your fathers, ye, or all of you, are gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein or how shall we return? They're asking the question, in what way? What is the manner of our return? In verse 8, here comes the question, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings is how God answered. And he said, you're cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me even this whole Nation, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there might be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and ye shall not destroy he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field saith the lord of hosts and all nations shall call you blessed for ye shall be a delightsome land saith the lord of hosts if you like that say amen, amen. Praise God, praise God. Little simple message with a one-word title. That word is give. I think sometimes that is a difficult concept for people. And by that I mean giving. We are people who are prone to forget where Paul says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And God wants the blessings and materials and resources that flow into our lives to continue also to flow through our lives to other people. That is to say, God wants your life to be a river rather than a lake. He doesn't want everything to be congested in one place with no outlet. But if God blesses you, he expects you to be a blessing to other people. And so when we look at the book of Malachi, we're reminded that this was some 400 years before Jesus was born. Malachi was a prophet that spoke to these individuals about their negligence in the temple. In fact, in chapter 1, he is rebuking them because they didn't honor God. Malachi even said, offer these kinds of sacrifices to the governor and see if he'll be happy with you. God did not want sacrifices that were blind, 
or animal sacrifices that were maimed or had any physical blemish. The animal had to be without spot or blemish. But they got to the point where they really didn't care. They just said God should just be happy with whatever we give him. And this is why Malachi had to open up his mouth and speak to the children of Israel and say, it's better for you if you just close the doors of the temple than for you to proceed in the manner in which you're proceeding. Because he's saying your arrogance and your haughtiness is something that God is not pleased with. Well, by the time we come to chapter 3, he still is making the case for why the covenant of God is one of life and peace and why they themselves have not allowed the priesthood to be the priesthood to them. The priests were supposed to be teachers of truth. They were not. They were hypocrites. They weren't living what they preached. They weren't doing what God called them to do. And he even said they had departed out of the way of God. So in verse 7 of chapter 3, he makes a very, very important statement. From the days of your fathers, you walked away from my precepts. He said, if you look back in time, way back in the years of ancient history, your fathers didn't even obey me as they should have. And of course, that kind of rebellious spirit, that disobedience, it can from one generation to the next. That easily happens. Do you know that if, if you have parents that don't attend worship or are not Christian and don't worship God, then it's not likely that the children are going to attend worship and follow God? Now, I'm not trying to say that every parent that serves God, that their kids are going to just come and serve God without any difficulty at all. But I am saying it's likelier if the kids know about God from the home and from mom and dad that they'll come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because they have heard the greatest story that's ever been told. And God gives them an anchor for their soul. And then when they come to various crises in their life, and when they look for an anchor, then they realize, I need to go back to what mama and daddy told me about Jesus. Yeah. But if you have ancestors full of rebellion, and you have ancestors that are opposed to God, oftentimes that can come down through the kids, and sometimes rebellion can spring up in the kids even when the parents are devout and love the Lord. So in this case here, Malachi is letting them know God knows your history. He's been keeping a record, and your fathers have not kept my ordinances. Why did God give precepts? Why did God give commandments? He wanted to govern our behavior. The whole point of precepts is to control people's behavior. I've heard folks say sometimes, well, you know, we, we don't need to create laws for this and laws for that because you can't legislate morality. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. If you tell somebody it's against the law to steal, then you just told somebody they need to keep their little grimy paws off of things that belong to you. If, if you tell someone that, that they can't just go out with a gun and arbitrarily shoot somebody just because they're mad with them, then you have said to them that particular behavior is prohibited. You can legislate morality. 
You can preserve what is good and keep away what is bad, but you can also, with the very same laws, you can prohibit what is good and then help facilitate what is bad. You can legislate immorality. So the scripture here is very plain. Your fathers turned away from my ordinances, but I'm telling you now, return to me. If you return to keeping my commandments, it's the same as returning to me because my commandments and my word are the same. And I'm one with the word. I am one with my commandments. God has never asked us to do anything that's contrary to his nature. So anytime you have strayed from the truth of God's word and gone in any direction, you have also turned away from God. And it is God's desire for you to return to him. He wants you to have that kind of relationship. Well, verse number seven then is fairly clear. He says, return unto me, I'll return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Now, that's a question people always want to know. God, how have I offended you? What have I done that could ever cause you to be displeased with my behavior or my conduct? But you can see here, sometimes God isn't pleased with our behavior. You that have children, have your children ever done anything that displeased you? Maybe once or twice? Occasionally. Occasionally. Yes, occasionally something like that happens. How about yesterday? I was at a wedding I had to do. And so we were, we were down in Kansas at, at this lake, and I just thought it was so cute. I, I had ministered and, you know, doing the vows and all of this. Then I look up, and I've got these people sitting next to me, a mom and pops and all these other folks. And then I look down, and there are these beautiful little blonde-haired boys, and they're over here in the sand, and they're building sandcastles. And, and so the, the bride and the groom, they're over here. And I mean, there's weeping and all this stuff going on. And little boys are over here. And you know how you can see moms and dads when they're kind of cutting their eyes at the kids and trying to get the kids' attention. You know, almost like look over here so you can see my face right now. No, I'm not the happiest camper. And, and I, I was absolutely tickled in watching this because the kids wouldn't look over there. And finally, the kids, they got down in the sand and hunched over and started scooping the sand up and scooping it between their legs at one another. And so there was a sand fight going on during the wedding. And all I heard was mama say, you better stop or I'm getting up, come over there and it's not going to be pretty. And then you saw the little kids just kind of sit down. I said, oh, my goodness, sometimes the kids can do things that don't please the parents, and we know sometimes we don't please God. Sometimes we stray from what he has told us to do. And it's not that we don't know he's told us to do it. We just kind of feel like, look, he's the loving father. He's gracious. He's going to turn his back on what I have done. And so I'll be able to get away with it this time. But the question was, how, Lord, have we hurt you? And in what way can we return to you? And the question was, will a man rob God? And I'll answer it for you. Yes, every day of the week, if he can get away with it. Every day of the week. A man or a woman will rob God. If God blesses you and God looks after you, you should be willing to give back to God. 
it's been my personal observation that if a person realizes that in giving a tithe to God that that pleases God and they understand what the tithe is, then they'll willingly want to give to God. But people who find it easy to give a dime out of every dollar and a dollar out of every ten, if they don't have the character, they will struggle with giving God a hundred out of every one thousand. But do you realize that whatever kind of monetary number it is, as far as God is concerned, the increment or the proportion remains the same, 10%. And whether you give God all that he has or give him more, you need to understand you're always going to be in a position where you need something from him. There will never be a time in your life where you won't need to pray, where you won't need to believe God for something. And so when God blesses us, let's remember that we come to the house of God and present to the Lord the first fruits of what he gives us each week or every two weeks or every month, however the Lord pays you in the midst of your operation. But you give to God knowing that you present it to the king. Now the scripture here says, in tithes and offerings. I have had people say to me in the past, well, pastor, don't you know that tithing is part of the Old Testament law, that we don't do that in the New Testament? Well, then I have to explain to them that they are in error. The first time that tithing is mentioned in the Bible, it is in connection with Abraham. Abraham lived 400 years before Moses, so tithing didn't begin with Moses. And Abraham discovered that his nephew had been taken captive along with a bunch of other ladies and men and other uh, material goods. And so he got together 318 men, and they went to battle against the kings of the east. You can find it in Genesis 14. And he brought back all of the goods. He won the battle, and when he had received everything, he said, surely this tenth is going to go to the priest or to Melchizedek, whose name means king of righteousness. Abraham taught tithing to his children. How do I know that? Because when Jacob was fleeing from his brother, and his brother Esau wanted to kill him, and Jacob was fleeing to modern Iraq, he had a vision of the Lord at the top of a great ladder or staircase, and the angels were going up, the angels were coming down, and the Lord said to Jacob, as I was with your father and your grandfather, so I'll be with you. My covenant is with you, Jacob. And Jacob said, Lord, if I go into this foreign land and you bring me back safely, surely a tenth out of all that I acquire will go to you. It is because of these stories, long before the law, that we tithe. And when the scripture later tells the children of Israel to tithe under Moses' law, it's because they established a priesthood, a ministry of sacrifice. And the priest's ministry was reserved for the temple. So you don't read any stories of the priests wielding swords and going to battle. The priest's ministry was reserved for the temple. They don't even have property. 
When they went into the, the promised land, God gave the various tribes landed estates so that all of their families could dwell. The priesthood never, the Levites never received any land. God said, your portion is to minister to me. And it was on the basis of that model that so many pastors up until basically the 1970s or 80s here in America and around the world very rarely even owned a house. A pastor would take a church and minister there for two to six years and he would live in a parsonage or an apartment. And then once his time was up and he moved, then he'd end up in another house or a parsonage or an apartment. But eventually, somebody came to realize this isn't working because here you end up preaching 55 to 60 years of your life, come to the age of retirement, and you don't even have a place to live. And people had to think about what all this meant for a minister. So God told the children of Israel, you provide tithes and offerings to make sure the priesthood is cared for, to make sure the widows and the orphans can be fed, to make sure that people in need can have their needs met. And so here the Lord says to the children of Israel in tithes and offerings, 10%. Now there were various offerings that God required of them. So this is why we tell you as a Christian that 10% of what you find, inherit, is given to you that you earn. 10% belongs to the king. Because God has gone out of his way to provide for you as he did for Abraham, as he did for the children of Israel. And however that works out in the economy of your house, it is your responsibility with your conscience with God to attend to that. It is not my responsibility. It is your responsibility. All the years I've been out here in Nebraska, not one time have I ever made a deposit. Have I ever counted the, the, the offerings in any church? Not one time. All I have done is preach the gospel, and the people that we have in the church whose responsibility is to handle that, they have taken care of that and have done that wonderfully so I can get up here and preach without fear of compromise, without fear of man, without fear of who gives and who doesn't give, and I can preach the truth of God's word. And I can tell you, I have a lot of pastor friends who have told me they never ever preach on tithes and offerings because they say it, it sounds too self-serving. I said, well, you're robbing your people of the blessing that God wants for them because God expects all of us to tithe. My wife and I, we tithe. So all, every Christian should tithe. You say, well, pastor, do we have to go to Israel to tithe? No. We're the body of Christ now. God dwells in us. As a spiritual house. And Jesus now is our heavenly or divine Melchizedek. So wherever you attend worship regularly. Wherever you call your church home. Whoever is your pastor. It is at that particular place where you are supposed to have some opportunity. To go to a tithing and offering receptacle. And place your tithes and offerings in. Because you're giving to God. You're not giving to a man or to a woman. 
and to believe that when you are faithful to do what God has commanded you to do, he will be faithful to look after you because you're being faithful to him. Now, I realize that there are plenty of people today who don't want to make that kind of a sacrifice, but I'm telling you right now, uh, for the children of Israel under the law, it said you were cursed with a curse. Now, for me, if I lived at this time, I would have been thinking it's better to give him that 10% and a little bit more because 88, 89% blessed is a whole lot better than 100% cursed. Yeah, a whole lot better. And you have to think about what God does for you behind the scenes on the basis of your faithfulness and your giving. How many times did your car not break down? How many times did God make sure the, the, the shingles stayed on your roof because you were faithful? How many times when an accident occurred did God make sure that your child or your family member walked away? How many times did God make sure your cupboards were overflowing with food because you did something as simple as giving back to God of the amount that he has given to you? Very important to live a life like that. Under the law, they gave 10%. So the scripture in verse 9 then says, you have robbed me even this whole nation. The whole country, he said, has not done what was right with respect to the things of God. Now, I wonder in the United States of America how many people do give to God and who don't. Here was a nation founded by pilgrims that came here looking for a place where they could have freedom of worship. This is a nation where most of the colonies were formed on the basis of some religious desire. Maryland is called Maryland because that's where the Catholics, for the most part, congregated. And they were lovers of Mary, so it was called Maryland. You think about South Carolina and Georgia, which were experiments to, to try to look after and take care of poor children. The various nations, or colonies, I should say, that were begun in this nation, they had in their charters some kind of foundation in Scripture. And look at most of our state constitutions, and you're going to find a mention of God, and you might even find mention of yeah, our state constitutions. So these people had some kind of relationship with God, but yet within these states, over the last 200 years or so, people have just moved away from the precepts of God so that now we don't have a church-going nation. We have a nation now that goes everywhere but church where families used to have their homes centered around the calendar and the schedule of the church, we now have a society where the families are centered around the calendar of the school. Now look, I'm not opposed to sports. I played sports. I like sports. But you know as well as I do, when some of you were kids, you didn't have to go any further than 45 minutes or an hour to play a game. But now some of these kids have to go two and three hours, and it's an all-day affair. All I'm saying to you is that the culture, in moving away from the principles of God, it has affected our actions. 
But for us who love God and walk with God, we can still expect the blessing of God to be upon us. Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Gather them up. Look at what God blesses you with. Doesn't matter if you're on a fixed income or if you make your money once a year at harvest time or if you get paid every week, direct deposit every two weeks. However, your money's come to you. Make sure that you carve out that part that belongs to him. And don't ever forget that because I promise you he won't ever forget you. You may try to rob God, but you will need to ask him for something in the future. And when you go to God, you want to have the confidence in your heart and in your conscience to know I have done everything, God, that Scripture says I should do. And, Lord, I'm believing and trusting that your blessings are going to be upon my house. He said that there might be meat in my house. Now, that is to say he wants to be able to feed the people because if there's no food in the house of the temple, then, of course, the Levites couldn't make the bread. And then other people wouldn't be able to eat the remnants of any sacrifices that needed to be given to the people in order to bless them. Remember, Samuel invited people to a feast, and then he slaughtered an animal, and then everybody sat down to a meal and enjoyed that. Well, it would be near impossible if there were no financial resources to make these things available. So here you'll hear somebody, they'll say something like this. I get tired of going to church. Every time I go to church, they're talking about money. And it's always some backslidden man or woman that doesn't go to church but two or three times a year. And because they only go to church two or three times a year, that's why the pastor gets up there and says something to give this old crazy person an opportunity to give something since they don't regularly go to church. But they say, I get tired of going. They're always asking for something. But if you've hung around here, we're not always asking for anything. We just preach the gospel, and we just expect the people that call this place their home to walk over there to that box on their own to present their tithes. We don't pass any bucket. I don't hold up a service and for the next 10 minutes give you a fundraising appeal to try to shake your money out of you and to try to shame you and make you feel bad. All we do is say to people, if you're wanting to give, right over there. And all these years, people have been faithful to do that. That's how they did it in Jesus' day in the temple. So bring all the tithes into the storehouse. It costs money to keep lights on. It costs money to have an air conditioner. It costs money if you have to repair things in the house of God. It costs money to have a pastor. You know, I preached a message, I taught a lesson one time years ago called Reasons Why Pastors Can't Keep Churches and Reasons Why Churches Can't Keep Pastors. Because there are a lot of churches, their attitude has been, still is, and might be 20 years from now across the South and in other places. Lord, if you would only keep him humble, I promise you we'll keep him poor. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's been added to a lot of people. And, and so, you know, that, that one who's got the grumbell, he's about going to church saying people are talking about money all the time. Now, he and his wife, they don't mind smelling a new car every three or four years, but they want that preacher driving in a rattle trap, you see. 
and, and they want the folks in the church to not have anything and want the church to be falling apart in the gutters uh, coming off and everything like that and the bathrooms having a terrible smell and everything all run down. But, but they don't mind it all renovating their own place. Folks, I'm telling you right now, it's a mentality that people have. You don't have that, but it's a mentality that I see when I travel. And I have to look in the faces of pastors who are struggling because nobody is even concerned about their families. And don't even ask. Bible here says, bring all the tithes. And this here's what the Lord said. Prove me now. Try me and see if I open you the windows of heaven. So when God talks about the windows of heaven, he's talking about the skies. He said, I can open up the heavens and bring rain whenever I want to. It's interesting to me that when people talk about droughts that are in certain areas of America, that even when it's a time of drought, it seems to be there are a number of places that still get rain. Still get rain. And do you realize that if you serve God and walk with God, that though there may be a drought in a whole lot of other places, and that heat is leaning on those fields, and stuff is drying up and shriver, shriver, uh, shriveling up and everything, don't you realize God is still big enough if he desires, he can bring a cloud over your field, and he can make it rain for the next half hour if he wants to. He's that big a God. And if he doesn't do that, he can do it the way he did it in Adam and Eve's day. He can just cause the earth to be replenished and moist on its own if he wants to. But you have to have a conception of God that is so great and so big that when you move into these various seasons that you aren't going to be governed by the economy of this world. Now, I don't like it any more than you do. The gas prices are going up. And I hate... To see, you know, this over $3 gas stuff. And when I pull into gas stations and I see people pulling in with them big trucks and I'm watching people fill them up and these truck drivers, I mean, they're cussing and screaming at the price of gas and I'm praising the Lord for the Honda Accord. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Just waving at them as we're doing it, you see. But, but here's the thing. The economy changes. God's economy remains the same. Amen. His principles do not mutate. And if the Lord said, trust me, try me, prove me, he said, I'm giving you one area of your Christian life where you can try me and find out whether or not this actually works. And he said, here's the principle here. You start giving and watch and see what I'll do. Because there are a lot of people who say, well, I, I want to try that, Pastor. I want to get there to where I should be so that I can give like that. But I'm worried if I don't do this over here, then that's going to affect this over here. But what you need to be worried about is grieving God. See, you need to be worried about offending God. Because God is the one that prospers you and gives you what you have anyhow. And as fast as he gave you that job, it can disappear just like that. Just like that. You walk in one day and somebody say, you know what? I mean, the budget crunch has just been a little bit tight, so your job is now obsolete. Just like that. But if you walk with God and trust God, then you can expect that God will go out of his way to bring a blessing into your life where he says you won't have room enough to receive it. That means you don't have a container big enough to put it in. You don't have a house big enough to contain what he wants to do for you. 
but just be faithful to God. And that kind of faithfulness is certainly, certainly important. I think it was um, that man that made all the big heavy moving equipment, Mr. Laternal, many, many years ago, who, who got to the point in his life where he had so much money that he lived off of 10% and tithed 90% of his income to God. I mean, that'd be a pretty good place to be, you know, if a person could ever reach that particular place. But the Lord said, I'll rebuke the devourer. You know that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So this is how it usually works. You have a pain in your body, and then when that pain gets to the point where it's more than a mere annoyance, but it becomes extreme discomfort, then you got to go to the doctor. Then you go to the doctor, and the doctor looks you over, and if he or she is able to discover what exactly the problem is, then that particular doctor may then say, I think you need to see a specialist. Then you go to see the specialist. Then the specialist says, well, from what I can see here, that I, I think I need to run a few more tests. So you come, they run a few more tests, and then after that, they may say something like, we've got some medicine we need to prescribe, or I, I feel like a surgery is required. And you go through that. And so after you go through this process, which may take you anywhere from a month to three to four months, then, then pretty soon after you're done and you're feeling a whole lot better and your health has been somewhat recovered, then the bills start coming. Then you get sick all over again. Because now you're looking at the bill, and it says you saw this particular doctor, and, and all he did was come in and ask you, how did everything go today? And you said, well, everything went fine, and then he asked you about the weather. You talked about seven minutes, and you know you're looking at that, and it costs him, it costs you $275 just to talk to him. And this is why you got to ask for an itemized bill a lot of times to see what's going on. When I had surgery and had them blood clots, I was looking at stuff on the bill. I didn't even realize that if you went into a surgery you, and you asked for a, a, a radio and they wanted music to play in the background, they charge you for therapy. Hundreds of dollars just to have music playing in the background. I could have bought my own, brought my own boom box and, and brought my own CDs or something like that, you see? But, but here's, my, here's my point. You can walk with God. God can preserve you. God can preserve me. But think of all of the doctor bills you didn't have in 2020 that you could have had. See? Now, you may have had some, but think of all the ones you didn't have. You, 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 you cry and complain about insurance and stuff, but, but, but think, think of what you didn't have to pay because you had insurance. See? I mean, before they started that crazy Obamacare thing here through the church, we had Blue Cross Blue Shield for over 20 years. And when I had my surgery, you know how I used to complain about the premium the church had to pay for us every month just to have Blue Cross and Blue Shield? And then when I finally started getting those bills, I said, oh, thank you, God, that there is such a thing as insurance. Yeah. But there are a lot of people in this world, folks, that don't have it at all, don't have any insurance. 
And you know what they have to do? They just simply have to trust God and believe God. They have to believe that just like everybody else, when they put their money into the kingdom of God and say, Lord, this belongs to you, we're trusting that you're going to keep our family. And Lord, when the bills come in, we're trusting that you're going to make sure we have what we need. Yeah. So God can rebuke the devourer in different ways. The devourer does not want to see your bills paid. God can make sure they're paid. God can rebuke the devourer by making sure the devourer can't cause you any problems at all. And it says here he won't destroy the fruits of your ground. So we're back to the agricultural image here. The devil wants every one of you farmers in here this morning to go under. Nothing would make him happier for you to go under. Because if you go under, then that means you're not going to be spending any money to get your equipment fixed. That means other people are going to suffer. And that means that if you go under and you don't have resources, you won't be able to put them in other places and it's going to affect everybody. He will make sure the devil doesn't destroy the fruits of your ground. If I was a farmer, a natural farmer, I would walk around my fields the same way I do when I'm down here walking around in the church praying. And I would say, Father, I thank you. This place is blessed. And I thank you, God, for supplying every need and for providing everything that we need right here in this church. I thank you for prospering every family. I thank you for keeping them gainfully employed. I thank you for the blessings that come into their lives. And if I had a farm, I'd be on a four-wheeler or a golf cart. I'd be riding around every corner, and I'd stop, and I'd say, in Jesus' name, you're going to be blessed this year, and you're going to bring forth abundantly better than you ever have before. I don't know what you do, but that's what I would do, because I honestly believe that if we stand on God's word and resist the adversary, then the blessings of God will come up and overtake us. So it says here, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before time in the field. Now, you know what that means. That's, that's February in Nebraska or Kansas when... It's 80 degrees. And then all of a sudden, the fruit trees start spudding, or budding, I should say. And then pretty soon, here comes a cold spell and destroys it all. And for that year, there's no harvest of any fruit. God is saying he knows how to make sure that doesn't happen in your field. I believe he's big enough to do that. And we should expect that God would do that. And then verse 12, all nations shall call you blessed. That means the fruitfulness in your life as a nation is going to be so great that other nations are going to envy you and want to be like you. And I believe that God can bless us all to the point that where people will look at how we live our Christian lives and say, you folks really are blessed. And then if they ask you how you got that way, and you can simply tell them about your giving to God. Amen. You cannot outgive God. You cannot. But you can be selfish with what you have. God doesn't want you to have a closed fist when you approach him. He wants you to have open hands and an open heart. Now, Pastor, what if I'm married to somebody that doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in tithing? 
and, and my husband tells me he doesn't care anything about God and, and he don't care anything about the church and he's not interested in helping missions and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, there, there different ways to look at it. Well, number one, if you're a lady and you work and you have a job, then your husband's not your God, first of all. If you're born again, then the God of your heart is the one that rules and reigns. And so you give to God what belongs to him. Now, if you're on a single income and he's the only one that's working or she's the only one that's working, then, then you're, you're, you're almost pretty much at a dead end with what you can do. But God sees where you are and God honors your heart and God will honor your diligence. He'll see the sincerity that you have in truth. And when people say to me, well, if I've got a choice I've got to make, <clears throat> I mean, I've got <clears throat> medicines I've got to buy, I've got food I've got to buy, I've got clothes I've got to buy, and, and you're talking about in the Bible, it says that we ought to tithe and give offerings, and I'm just not sure if I'm there and I can do that, but then I'll remind people, somebody's house burns down and they're in need of help, they're expecting help. If they belong to a local church, they ought to get help. If they belong to this church, they will get help. But the person that murmurs and complains says, I'm not sure that I want to give. I guarantee if their house burned down, they'll want everybody in the community to empty their pockets and give to them. You see? Yeah. We, we understand the, the struggles that people have and have had and may have. But folks, don't ever forget about God. God never authorized me to be his banker and tell anybody to take God's money and do whatever they want with it. You need to do what's right with God according to the word of God, and you'll find the blessings of God will be upon your life. I came out here, all I had was a backpack and a sea bag when I came to Nebraska. Didn't even have a congregation, didn't have anybody that came here. And we started preaching. When we started the church, there was no salary. You that's been here from the very beginning, there was no salary for Pastor Darrell. We had somebody in the church that was a mechanic. If the car was messing up, they fixed it for free. We had people in the church that had some hogs and, and people that would bring me pork. I remember one time somebody even brought me some, some milk right out of the cow that was in, in a little jug with the cream on top. It wasn't even pasteurized. Tiff looked at that and said, what in the world do they expect us to do with that? I said, well... You know, they're loving us. You know, they're loving us. So, you know, we went on for a while. And so in those early months, going into the first year of the church here, I was gone every three to four weeks, sometimes every six weeks, preaching, traveling, and the offerings that I had coming in is what we were living off of. And then thankfully, praise the Lord, God worked it all out where money started coming our way. But even then, the church cared enough about us to make sure we had a place where we could live and have a roof over our head and was concerned about us. We have nothing but praise for God for the way we were cared for in the early days out here. Because I've heard some horror stories about pastors and their struggles out here in this region. I've seen where the pastors have had it so bad in the church, people try to run them out of the church, and the pastor's family having to go to food banks and different things like that. Never had it that bad. Never had it that bad. 
And I think before I do that, I'd be just showing up at your house parked out there in the parking lot at d dinner and supper time. <laughs> Better believe it. Look out that window again. Lisa be saying, Todd, he's out there again. <laughs> Looks like he's even carrying a bottle of Tabasco sauce with him, too. <laughs> so, so God will rebuke the devourer for your sake and my sake. Folks, be faithful to God. Don't ever think that when you're given to the king that your faithfulness is overlooked by him. He watches. He pays attention. And every time you place something in that tithe and offering basket, you can say, Father, this is for you. You can shout grace and know that in the end, God is going to bless you. There's no doubt about it. Don't ever let the devil turn you into a selfish person because the same God that brings you up can bring you down. Promotion doesn't come from the east or west or north or south. The Bible says promotion comes from God. He's the one that sets up kings and sets them down. So let's all remember to be faithful in our giving in this year as we walk with God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. I'm just going to pray a, a little prayer uh, for everybody. And the ones that are out in the parking lot in the car, you can do this also if you, if you want to. But uh, for, the, for the ones that have their purses, I'm going to ask you to hold your purse up. If you've got a wallet, I'm going to just ask you to hold your wallet up. You don't have to worry about how, how thin your wallet is. All of us don't have thick wallets like Brother Ord. But, but for us that just have these little skinny wallets, we're just going to hold up. I'm just going to pray and ask God to bless our purse, our wallets. Father, in the name of Jesus, these, O oh God, that are containers of the blessings that come from you, we are so grateful. Unlike the Old Testament, Lord, we do not have to come and bring to the temple any kind of animal sacrifices, no chickens or anything like that, but we simply come with our monetary blessings and we come to the house of God. So for every family, Lord, I am asking you, to bless them, to prosper them. I pray that 2021 would be a greater year for them financially than they have ever experienced. And Father, I pray that we would all grow in Christ, in Christ and in Christian grace and knowledge together. And Lord, continue to have your way in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. You believe God's big enough to answer a prayer like that? I'm telling you, you know, sometimes with the money I have, I need to ask them to pray twice. And sometimes with the money you have, you need to ask them to pray four times. But we praise God that we are able to bless other people and folks in the kingdom of God. All right, let's fellowship a little while. Praise the Lord.